Good evening, fans. Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodeWritePlay.com. Boom shakalaka! My mom gave birth in 1985. I was bluer than a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive. In the cold world, my only blanket was Tetris. I played Rampart with Reagan Rampage, the world for breakfast. The laundry mat was my sanctuary. That arcade was my church. I thought I was grassland, so for evil. Okay, James Brady, how's it going? Thanks for uh, jumping on a call. Yeah, all's good. Thank you. All all's good on my end. Just uh, keep busy and yeah. You're in uh, Ireland, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So I'm. I work out of just a small town here on the border. Um, I've been for four years. It's been that point, like four years since I've been in the studio, and um, the last studio in Rockstar. But yeah, I've just been freelancing from home since that point, working remotely with different studios. Four years since uh, Rockstar. You're working on uh, RDR two, is that right? Yeah. So during the year, Rockstar it was Red Dead Redemption two um yeah that was awesome yeah i mean that's <laughs> so how much can you say about what you're doing currently and then we'll kind of work our way back yeah so at the moment i'm a senior environment artist with antimatter games in the uk remote um also working with liquid development as a freelance artist on an ea moto project but i can't unfortunately disclose which one it is sure um yeah i saw that just you know, kind of taking part of there's another like education platform called the Rookies. I'm just kind of helping with that and giving like feedback to artists who try are trying to get into the industry and kind of just being like a, a coach per se. Um, yeah, yeah, that is awesome because you've had a tremendous career so far. I've only had a short time to kind of look you up, but uh, contributed to PUBG, RDR2. Rogue Company, Hitman 2, uh, Poker Stars VR, all kinds of things from all sorts of different uh, uh, creators. So, I mean, how far back does that career span total right now? It's about almost six and a half years. Okay. Um, it's, it's, yeah, like the first first year it was QA, Creative Assembly, on Total War Warhammer. Oh. Then when Rockstar is a junior artist on ODR 2. Uh, left to go put, uh, freelance on PUBG. Initially, I was supposed to, like, we were trying to get me over to Madison to work on site, um, but there was an opportunity for that. And at the same time, I was like, because I was in England, I was like, yeah, I definitely kind of want to go home to, like, my family now in Ireland. Um, so I kind of just aligned. And, I mean, I kind of basically became a freelancer without really preparing to become a freelancer. It was just kind of like, oh, all of a sudden I'm a freelancer. And <laughs> that kind of took a learning curve. Um, from that point, yeah, I mean, it's just been, I've been working on, you know, two or three projects at once, really, to kind of, and that's kind of how I've been managed to sort of digest so many in such a short, short time span. Um, usually have two or three clients on the, on the go at once, which is pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so you started in Ireland, went to England, came back. Is that the, the trajectory? Yeah, like basically self-taught. Um, taught myself for a bunch of years here. Um, was applying for jobs and studios as an artist, but I wasn't able to get it because it just was not that quality bar yet. So I was like, okay, well, what else can I shoot for? And then I seen uh, Creative Assembly were looking for a QA, and I was like, you know what, I might as well try. You know, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I kind of was I was playing Alien Isolation, so I was just like, man, I really want to work for Creative Assembly. And then kind of thankfully that aligned uh, when I went over and uh, joined the Warhammer team and. During that year, when I would finish like at the studio, I'd go home and just practice on my portfolio and practice learning all techniques and tools and then just kind of 
getting feedback from their art department, you know, and kind of getting their thoughts. And that kind of helped me quickly accelerate from a point of not understanding to being able to then join Rockstar's Gene Arbus. Yeah. That's very cool. Uh, QA is interesting in that way because, I mean, obviously you have your lifer career QA folks who obviously uh, are basically the backbone of the industry. Uh, we couldn't do what we do without them. Um, yeah. More commonly you hear when people leave QA, it's so they can come in, learn, you know, coding standards, things like that, and work their way into uh, programming, basically. I've not heard a lot of people go from QA to art. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, but it sounds like you kind of networked and and got feedback on your stuff. I mean, was that a big help in making that switch? I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, initially, because um, I really kind of got myself embedded with the art team at Creative Assembly, and I know they were trying to kind of like get me in as like a, an associate artist, mm -hmm. but that role wasn't available at the end of the project, and. I think I just literally was looking online. I was like, you know what? I'm going to see kind of what else is floating around junior art level. And then I seen Rockstar were hiring. And I mean, I applied, but in my own mind, I was like, no way am I even like going to get that job. And then I was so shocked when I got an email for an interview. I was like, what? You know, and then going up to like the studio and meeting the guys and, you know, being there. And then, you know, like I've heard so many other people getting art tests and I thankfully never had to take an art test. So I just literally um, had the first interview, went home. It was like a, about a month later and then I just got the offer and I was like, oh, wow. OK, this is real. <laughs> um, wrapped up my notice for Creative Assembly, literally finished on Friday and moved to another city on the Saturday to start Rockstar on the Monday. And it was just insane. <laughs> yeah. Did you go to school for anything related before you got started this way? Yeah. So when, see, the, the thing is like, I grew up in a very small town. Well, the, funny enough, the same town I reside in now in Ireland where it's, it's not really an industry here. So people like, if you tell people you want to make video games, they kind of just have the attitude of, you know, go get a real job. It's like, it's just <laughs> fair. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't really that support during school. Um, I did a year in a college here. It was a, like a game development course, but it was like, 10% of it was game development related and the rest was just bulk of like multimedia uh, subjects. Um, so really and truly, I was just completely self-taught, you know, and I think like at the same time, it's for me to come back. It's like, um, I kind of hope to inspire other people here that want to do this, you know, or kind of be like the example of like the guy in the little time working on these huge AAA projects remotely, you know, so that's kind of, yeah, that's, that's really kind of been what I'm doing now on that part. It sounds like you've kind of worked for anybody anywhere close to you that you know does the, the kind of work you want to do, which is good. I mean, it's it's got to be competitive, you know. To be honest with you, I, I don't really know how I've managed to score so many opportunities. I mean, I definitely consider myself very lucky because, I mean, there's way better talent out there. But I just I don't know if it's maybe maybe I'm just smart at communicate or uh, connect, like making connections on LinkedIn and networking. I'm not, I have no idea, but I just, yeah, I mean, I'm very, very lucky to have uh, been a part of all the, the projects I've been a part of. I'm also, I mean, I'm in the, the U S so I can't complain too much about industry presence, but I'm in the St. Louis area, which really does not have much of an industry presence unless you want to move like half a continent away. So Around here, and, and I'm a software developer, but I've always done everything, you know, independently. So I haven't been in the proper industry in that way. Um, so, I mean, around here, yeah, we do all kind of go to school for something related, programming stuff, uh, computer science in general. But everybody spends the day working for like 
you know, defense contracting, um, you know, enterprise rent a car has a big presence out here, but it's all like corporate stuff, non games. And then nights and weekends, we all get together in these groups and like, Hey, who's doing a game jam this weekend? Who's doing a little project? Lots of little indie teams scurrying around. So it's kind I get it. Like it's kind of a strange thing. You have to really be passionate about it to, to survive with uh, interest in games around here. And I'm sure in your area too. So not only is it yeah. cool that you made it, it's very cool that you're now uh, sort of coaching up the next uh, round of uh, entrance into the industry. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that you touched on like just being passionate about it and perseverance, like there has to be a lot of that to like, let alone get the opportunities, but also just to persevere with the amount, like the workload and, because obviously making games is very hard. So it's like anyone who's not passionate probably won't get into the industry, but then won't survive in the industry because it really just takes that extra push because you're just, you're passionate about your craft and what you do. Um, it's very much like that here as well, where it, like we do have a lot of game jobs and stuff in Dublin, you know, but mm-hmm. it's primarily like the colleges and stuff here, you know, they teach game development, but it's 90% software. Like there's very little art focus on it. Um yeah, so it really is kind of a situation that if that's the area you want to go into, you really have to just kind of teach yourself and mm-hmm. network so you get that like crucial feedback from other industry pros. I mean, side note, but I, I've been to Dublin. I've, I love your part of the world. I, I was I was obsessed when I got there. I got to spend a week there about 10, 11, 12 years ago, something like that. It was just phenomenal. I wish I could have stayed for a long time. Are you bored with it now or is it still is it still awesome to you? <laughs> Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think when I moved away, I definitely missed that. I missed how yeah. like saturated and green grasses over here. It's like, it's, I mean, I still look at it. I'm like, holy crap, it's so saturated. It's like someone just photoshopped it. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, nah, I like, to be honest, I, I think the hardest thing for me to transition back to was everything here gets done in Irish time per se, where it's like people are more kind of relaxed here where yeah. when I was in and stuff and i'm sure you know as in the us it's very go 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 like this has to be not done now but in ireland it's like it'll i'll, I'll, I'll get to it when i get to it kind of you know so it's yeah it, it definitely took a while to adopt but honestly yeah i wouldn't i don't think i would change being here for the world like because it is just a very relaxed and i think for me because i work primarily with uh studios in the us and such in the uk where you know, you can kind of step away from that and then enjoy like the slower pace of life. So you just have that health balance, which is is really nice. That was one of the cool things about being there for about a week was, um, and not really during peak holiday or travel time or anything, but just while people were living, working, kids were going to school, that kind of thing. And in the middle of the week, we were able to go out and, um, you know, see smaller towns and stuff and see people just kind of getting together for like, pick up football games, uh, you know, doing things in the park and stuff. It, it's, it did seem really, it seemed like a lot healthier culture than places you could be working right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, the weirdest thing for me is because I've worked primarily with American studios, I've had that North American corporate mentality where it's, yeah. it's such a weird thing where I'm living somewhere where life is so relaxed and slow paced, but yet in my own mind, it's I might as well be living in Chicago or wherever because it's just, you, you kind of, when you're working with that consistently, you, you get into that sort of um, kind of just pace of life. And then it's weird to like have to step back from it and be like, 
okay, this is not how to do it here. <laughs> the people around you must think you've lost control and you're just, you know, why, why are you doing this to yourself, right? But yeah, I mean, that was literally it. Like, my family have said to me so many times. And I mean, unfortunately, I did end up sick there for a month in hospital because of it. But it was very much like you got to slow down, you know, and... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it took that to realize, like, okay, yeah, you, you can't do that. Like, it's it's not healthy. So, but no, yeah, I, w- I definitely wouldn't change it for sure. Yeah, and you do, I mean, being an artist, uh, I don't talk to a lot of freelance artists. So to to be on an aggressive schedule with multiple clients and doing, you know, the freelance lifestyle, that's that's a lot of pressure on a very, very creative job. I mean, as a programmer, I feel like, okay, if I have to juggle two or three coding projects, it's not fun, but I can do it. But like to have that kind of pressure on basically pure creativity, I mean, how do you even manage that? It's 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 a weird thing. I mean, for me, um, yeah, that's a good question. I think it's really just kind of like, you know, you're definitely creative in what you do, but you kind of have to just take the mentality of like, you're just an implementer rather. So it's like, you know, as an artist, you're, you're always kind of trying to make the things to the best of your ability, but sometimes it just has to be good enough, you know, for you to be able to balance all of that. And I mean, as we know, as gamers and even ourselves, like if something just reads as it should, we don't really pick the fine details in the game. You know, you kind of just walk past it. You're like, oh, there's a chair or sofa or bed and it just it looks like it reads it and that's all all that matters um i think that's the hardest thing it's just trying to get the balance of hitting those deadlines where you're not kind of fixating too much on the finer details so it's just as long as it looks good and the client's like yep green light it's good to go i mean you've you've worked on a lot of projects for a lot of people what are you kind of specializing in what are you kind of known for when people pick you up for stuff yeah so primarily hard surface art um, acid art, like realistic stuff, wouldn't really be much of a stylized artist. That's like my weakest link. Um, yeah, a lot of like in engine work, optimization, like just the finer technical things. I just, I really enjoy kind of sticking my teeth into that. <clears throat> and I think the weirdest thing at the moment is my portfolio really represents primarily hard surface and acid art. But for the last, I'd say, three positions, it's really been a broader stroke of like, full environment work and character work um but unfortunately as you know with everything being under a nda it's like it, it doesn't really reflect that but yeah yeah i mean for me morally when i like usually when i'm picking up uh contracts it's just hard surface art acid art uh realistic or sci-fi um yeah is it dangerous in the art game to kind of branch out and and sort of spread yourself out a little, little thinner when uh you're talking to a new studio, new client, new studio, anything. Uh, do they kind of go like, well, we were hoping to find somebody who had done like five years of strictly uh, X or Y. Yeah, it is. Honestly, there's so many artists that specialize in those areas that if you're stretching yourself thin, A, you're probably not going to deliver on your best work and B, it'll hurt your reputation because then people will just assume that that is your best quality bar. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think a 3D generalist kind of exists in the games industry it's very much everyone's very specialized and focused in certain areas and um, i think like if, an, if a studio requires a certain need there's always opportunity for that like there's always people that they can reach out to you know so i think like my advice to anybody would really just be like 
you know, find your niche in a specific area and just hone in and obsess over that as much as you can to be the best at that one thing. Because long term, it will shine and your strongest work will be in your portfolio and it'll just, it'll go a long way. Mm -hmm. One of the last artists I spoke to was uh, Luis Alonso, who had contributed to uh, Mass Effect, Need for Speed, like another very impressive uh, portfolio. And he had uh, sort of gradually shifted into the technical side because he had come in doing fairly technical things. And that part seemed interesting to me because I had heard a lot of what you're saying about specialty, but like... In our discussion, it seemed that, you know, technical art had become such a wide uh, term in the first place that that was also very complicated. You were either pretty broad within technical art or very specialized there. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, I do agree. I think it touches on a lot of areas because, I mean, you have technical art for environments, assets, characters, even animation, rigging, like it is a huge, broad spectrum, you know, but I think... In that, there probably is people who just specialize in those specific departments, you know, in studios. Because as you know, now with projects and how how big studios are getting, how big projects are getting, like they have the the financial budget to kind of get the manpower they require and kind of just get all of those like individual um, people. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a funny thing, especially when you mention budget, because it seems like art is um, even more than coding arts hard to get into when you're teaching yourself. Like you said, you know, you had mostly done because you use a lot of expensive tools, a lot of complicated tools. And I'm kind of wondering like what you uh, specialized in on your way in. Yeah. So, I mean, I, so it's weird because if I like take away, like if I go way back to the start, um, I used to use my mom's old laptop and I used to start learning Maya and I just, for some reason, I couldn't stick with Maya. It was just, it was complicated. There was too many, um, just the UI was just not um, easy to navigate and learn. So I basically hone in on 3ds Max and utilize that. And that's basically been my go-to since, you know, I use ZBrush for a lot more organic stuff or if I want to add extra details on the high poly um primarily it's substance painter and photoshop for texturing and then marmoset for baking um super experienced in unreal engine because i mean 90 percent of the projects i worked on have all been unreal focused mm-hmm. um i mean now as time has went on i have learned how to use like blender and then how to use maya because certain studios and clients require it although i still can't model in neither so i do all my mm-hmm. modeling in max and then import everything and set it all up as a deliverable package then either in blender or maya if that's what the client requires you know I would think even as someone who can bring in something from another application into Blender and do it well and make it look really nice, I would think you'd be very popular. Uh, I've I've used Blender probably, even as mostly a coder, I've used Blender more than 15 years now. And uh, I tried way back in like the early 2000s. I think it was the first time 3D Studio Max had put out a version that you could use in like an educational setting or, you know, if you were a college student or just wanted to learn it for free, I don't think you could export anything, but that was one of the first attempts I made to learn that kind of thing because I like art. Um, I'm not, I'm not a good, like sketch pad artist. I mean, if I handed you paper and pencil, you'd probably blow me away. I'm guessing, right? Uh, no, honestly, it's so weird. Yeah, like, it is the weirdest thing, because, like, my dad does concept art, and, like, he's really good when it comes to traditional stuff, but when it comes to media and that stuff, no way, it would be, like, stickman, like, it's just, (laughs) 
it is the weirdest thing because you would think typically as an artist that you can navigate that but for me it's it's been primarily 3d um and then i wonder myself as well because i don't usually specify or you know specialize in stylized work because I, I feel like stylized if you look at the like the likes of like blizzards style art style mm-hmm. or like sieves it's all very painterly and i wonder if maybe you do have to have that additional artistic flair to kind of really nail that um yeah it's it's a weird thing i think because i specialize on realistic art i kind of use a lot of like reference in real life and real world you know photography and materials so i wonder if it's more just i, I see myself more as an implementer of work if that makes mm-hmm. sense compared to like have more of a general artistic flow but yeah that honestly a lot of people have said that to me and i'm like nope no way i could uh i could do concept art or td art like <laughs> i like that that's encouraging for me and probably encouraging for some younger folks also who who want to do this kind of work but like like you said stick figures and little uh little tiny post-it sketches and stuff I remember talking to Ash Lyons, who did uh, VFX work on Borderlands. He's still uh, in over at Gearbox. And we talked for 45 minutes about very technical applications, uh, you know, all these graphs and grids and very you know mathematical things that he does. And I said, this sounds like I could learn how to do it from like a programmer's mindset. Like I could gradually teach myself bits and pieces of this. And he kind of said like... Yeah, it's a lot better if you can draw. <laughs> so I, I feel like artists go both directions on that. And I mean, good for them. I, it's There's nothing more fun than watching, you know, naturally gifted artists come up with what they come up with. But this is extremely encouraging that you say, like, you know, anybody can also learn to do this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like, for me, it's, you know, I, I mean, in the same token, when it comes to, like, substance designer, that's all, like, note-based and stuff, I that stuff's wizardry to me like for yeah. me i'm even like very old school where i would like if i was creating a title texture i would sculpt it in zbrush and bake it down instead of using substance designer so i'm kind of stuck in that weird middle section where i'm not i don't feel like i'm super artistic but i'm also not a wizard mathematically to understand like substance designer so yeah i don't know i mean i, I still have moments where i'm even modeling stuff and i'm like what am i doing like it's just <laughs> I I think that applies to almost everything. I can still go into some pretty advanced coding and stop and look around and go like, I don't know if I even did this right. You know, it's, that kind of never goes away. I don't think. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's like, it's like confidence. Like the, it's like, I think anytime you start in like a new studio or project, you also have like those first jitters. And then once you get comfortable, you kind of just like, you get familiar with it, familiar with the workflow and pipeline. And then you kind of just are able to hit the ground running. Mm Mm-hmm. You said your dad's naturally artistic. What does he, he does concept art. What kind of work does he do? Yeah. So dad, um, he does concept art. He did the World of Warcraft. Uh, there was like a lot of like trading card games. He's done a lot of stuff like that, primarily illustrative work. Um, you know, and it was funny for me growing up in school where I would be in art class and they'd be like, oh, your dad's an amazing artist. Like surely you're able to do this. And it would make the <laughs> subject so much. And I was like, because I was very much into science at that point. And I was like, when mm-hmm. I graduate, I'm going to get a degree and be like a, a, working in some science field. And then the, the lines got blurred and I'm like, oh, now I just work, I work in video games. <laughs> um, Did, yeah. Was, was your was your dad disappointed by this? You were like, yeah, I'm be responsible. I'll get this nice scientific job. I'll be very respectable in the community. And he's like, oh, no, you're supposed to do video games. <laughs> Um, no, like it was weird because I think like in the early stages where I was like starting to kind of work in my portfolio and kind of 
wanting to sort of like when I started to realize like this is actually what I want to do he he was he was always very supportive and very like you know you need to spend time in your portfolio and get better and at that point I was like oh I'll do like 15 minutes on something and just like put it away and go play video games and like I think as I got older I realized yeah that, that isn't going to get you to this point but yeah, he was always just trying to kind of gently push me to like, okay, you need to really like just focus and, you know, and in hindsight, yeah, he was right. Cause like you definitely need to like really give it your all if you're, especially if you're self-taught for at least three to four years to really get yourself to the level, you know, and then as we both know, the industry always evolves. You just always have to keep familiarized with yourself with like workflows, you know, even like, I mean, we only switched to PBR materials in 2015 from classic material shaders. So it's just trying, you know, to keep all that in your mind and kind of understand things. And, and I mean, I can definitely see how that can be very overwhelming for new artists talent trying to get into the industry because there's just, there's so much to learn and you have to familiarize yourself with so much as well. And it's just, but I always say to people, like, it just comes in time. You know, if you just, if you can learn one modeling package and learn one texture package, you're half the way there. You know, as long mm-hmm. as you know the prince, the core principles, everything else you'll just learn it in time with experience it seems like the industry is getting to a point where and i mean it's hard for me to say being sort of on the outside but it does seem like there's more of an understanding now of what you just said you know you either have the core principles we can fill in the the minute stuff we do here at this studio around it and it Mm -hmm. seems like they're willing to take more chances on people uh not as far along that they can bring up the way they want them to do, you know, that studio style than to hold out and look for that, you know, 10, 15 year veteran doing exactly every little piece of what they want to see. Right. Yeah. And, you know, there's two sides that the first is games are getting bigger. There's more demand of talent needed to get shit done for a project. So like studios don't have the time to be very nitpick and kind of find those super experienced people. Cause the reality is if you have a guy who has 15 years in the industry and can do that one thing, he probably has multiple offers and there's all of that competition juggling. Um, it's really like, if you can find someone who's like, look, I can use 3ds Max, I can model stuff, get it to a certain point, but I'm very passionate and keen to learn more. Um, you know, as you said, studios are happy to bring those people in and kind of just train them up. And I think honestly, like, as I always say to people, as long as you have a basic understanding of the game engine, don't ever stress because every studio has a different pipeline, different workflow. You might be using the preparatory engine. There might be preparatory tools designed for Max or Maya, but that kind of first six months is going. That's going to give you time to learn their workflow, learn their pipelines, learn how to use their tools and scripts. Um, yeah, studios are always accommodating on that, you know. And usually, you get a six month probation period when you join a studio, and that's to make sure that you can actually get to grips with all of those things and make sure that you're able to understand as a studio what they're doing. And I remember I joined Ghost Story Games in Boston from here and they were rational games made Bioshock. And I'd say it took me the first six months to really kind of get myself comfortable with even their art direction of the project and kind of understand their workflow. I remember the first <laughs> the first few revisions I submitted were just completely way off. And then you're just having that moment of like, oh my God, I'm going to lose this. I can't do this. And then when you look back, you're like, it just, it takes you time to get to that point, you know, and then you can just do it with your eyes closed at that point, really. Yeah. I, it reminds me of that joke that goes around on social media every once in a while where you've got the junior you know, artist or programmer, whatever you want to say, who goes like, 
oh no, I messed something up. I'm going to get fired. I, you know, I won't be able to pay the bills this month. My career is over. And then you've got the uh, the senior programmer or artist who does the same thing and laughs and goes, hey, everybody, look at this dumb shit I just did. Yeah, it's literally like that. I think you, it is weird because I think when you're a junior, you're definitely more like very sensitive and conscious to the decisions you're making. But when you get to, when you get to senior stage, like I always think it's important to, you know, especially with juniors, remember how you were as a junior and trying to support that as a senior. But you're absolutely right in the terms of like, you kind of, you have, you have enough confidence and knowledge to know at that point how to fix a problem that you can just joke about the problem. You're like, I did this, it broke everything, but it's fine. I'll right. fix it in like 30 minutes, we're good. <laughs> it's nice. It's a nicer way to live for sure. <laughs> Less Even stressful. <laughs> in, in the corporate game, I try to remember that as well. Like there will always be, because people kind of catch your eye like, why is he's so, you know, nervous. Why is this person so edgy about this? And you, you have to remember that they're on eggshells because they're afraid, they're literally afraid, you know, one yeah. wrong move. And, and, uh, you know, some, unfortunately in the wrong roles, sometimes it's true that, you know, if something goes wrong, I mean, they may just throw you to the wolves a little bit, but, uh, it's, <laughs> it is a good thing to keep in mind when you're dealing with more junior people to be encouraging, be understanding and remind them like, it's going to be okay. One way or the other, everything's going to be all right, you know? Yeah. And I, I have actually, I have a story. I remember when I was the ghost story, I am. Um, so whatever way they use Paraforce and source control through Unreal, I did some things that broke a few things where basically certain assets and materials weren't appearing in the engine anymore. So anytime you load up a map, any assets replaced in the world were just disappearing and gone. And I, and the principal artist kind of made me, made me realize this. And I was like, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. And then I literally just was like, okay, how do I fix this? So I managed to kind of revert it in Perforce and fix it on real. And then he was like, oh, wow, how'd you do that? And I just played it cool. Like, yeah, I totally know what I did. I have no idea how I fixed it, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I had a, one of my first programming jobs. Um, my two teammates had, they shared one office nearby and I was out in the cubicles with kind of a bunch of other people from different departments. And I remember very well the first time I was dragging something into the production environment bit by bit and, and hearing from down the hall, like, Todd, <laughs> I knew right away, like something had gone wrong and I'm like, hold on, I'm on it. And I just got bit by bit, put things back until everything was okay again. I'm like, never mind, It's fine. Like I knew I messed up. It's, it's a funny thing. I mean, it, definitely not funny in the, in the moment, but after you're right. just like, I can't, it, like number one, I can't believe I did that. And two, holy crap, I can't believe I fixed it. <laughs> yeah. And if I'm able to break something that easily, maybe it's a, a bigger problem than just me. Maybe we need to oh, look at it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you had kind of a head start on, uh, I guess, pandemic life. You know, things kind of changed. Um, mm -hmm. See, I work independently now also, and I told everybody like I was uniquely prepared for the pandemic, but then the truth was the, the changes kind of kicked my ass anyway, a little bit. And it, it was hard to get through. And I'm kind of wondering what your experience was like. Yeah. So it was so strange when the pandemic struck and COVID kind of became a thing in Ireland. Like I remember, cause I think I was remote for about two years at that point, three years maybe. And I just remember hearing all about all these studios adapting to remote work and i mean initially i was like this is great like it's going to open so many more doors studios are going to be more keen to hire freelancers they're not going to be as kind of 
paranoid when it comes to people leaking information and such. And then the other side of it was like, I've not had really any exposure to the COVID-19 pandemic. So for me, it was, you know, I'd be working at home. So you have your own little kind of safe comfort bubble where you don't have to really worry about the pandemic. And you're kind of like excited about the the new normal because you're like, it's going to just change things for the better, you know? Um, I mean, as you know yourself, working at home, you just, it's more relaxing than being in a studio office. Yeah. Um, but then the other flip side of that, it's like, I go into a store, I go on public transport and I'm wearing a mask and I'm like, holy crap, this is real. <laughs> yeah. That, that is a strange effect. Like when you do have to go out, I feel like it hits us a little harder than it might hit other people. Cause it's like, you know, in your mind, you think like the real world is still out there. Everything's relatively normal. It's really not. It's a lot different and it's, it's an adjustment. I remember the first time going to the store and just being like, okay, this is insane. Yeah. <laughs> or my mask saying like the meter gap signs and just, you know, social distancing. And it's just like, wow, this is nothing compared to watching like a news report on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Um, since things have, you know, we're certainly not out of the woods, but as things have started to kind of open back up, the first couple of times I was able to go back into like the post office or uh, just very mundane things and look around and, you know, just see other people. It's like, okay, this is, this is good. It feels like the world's at least out there again, you know? So Definitely. And I feel like for me, it's, I think the hardest thing I've noticed about it is like, you know, there definitely is a lot more people around, but people seem to be just a bit more wary or hesitant about being in larger areas or even just socializing, which is kind of a part of it is just like, yeah, okay. I, I think we're a little bit further from getting to that point, you know, but I hope soon we'll, we'll be back to normal and everything will be good. <laughs> I look forward to it. I, I think I have a new appreciation for, uh, you know, a small amount of socialization and, you know, a small amount of all the things we joked about hating, you know, five years ago. Uh, I feel like a lot of us probably have a new appreciation for like, okay, fine. You talk to a stranger for a minute, everything's fine. You know, whereas yeah. we used to go like, I wish I could not just be at home. I'd work in a closet all day if I could, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I think like it just it, even like that little bit of interaction just helps to perk you up because I find like when you're working remote, it's great working from home. It's great being in your own comfort, but it's also very isolating. So then when you're leaving and kind of having to deal with the pandemic, it can not be as isolating, but it still feels very kind of just foreign, you know. So mm -hmm. when you have that interaction, it, it just it brings everything home and makes you feel like, OK, everything's good. Yeah. So, so yeah, here's here's hoping things continue to sort of normalize in upcoming months. But uh, I I like this uh, coaching stuff that you've discussed for you know sort of the next people coming in, and I'm I'm kind of wondering. I mean, tell me how it's going. Tell me what the people you talk to are uh, worried about these days. Like, how does the industry look to them? How's it going? It's going pretty good. It's 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 primarily just through um, the rookies Discord. Um, I'm negotiating with them at the moment to kind of do a bit more than that. Um, but it's just answering questions. You know, they would have like questions regarding like 3D modeling or just technical or you know, hey, is this like an appropriate price count for this model or they, like, like how do I do logs or just really general stuff. Um, and for the most part, it's just it's trying to be encouraging to encouraging to them because I think at this point I can see that a younger talent is they do feel very overwhelmed because not only creating good art requires technical knowledge because it has to run as well as it looks pretty, but the amount of software 
and the amount of procedural software these days between Houdini and Substance Designer. There's just, there's so much they have to digest and they can feel overwhelmed because they're like, okay, how am I supposed to like squeeze all of this into four years? And you have to remind them like, okay, step back, learn one package, learn another package, and then you can translate that knowledge if you need to for whatever studio may be using a different application. Um, yeah, like I think that's honestly the hardest thing I've noticed about it all. It's just students feeling very overwhelmed and feeling like they have to do character art, environment art, asset art. And it's like, no, step back. You need to just specialize because there is plenty of talent to do characters if your niche and kind of specialization is environment art. You know, I suppose the other side of it is just trying to remind them that they really need to think of quality versus quantity when it comes to their portfolio. Like two or three really good props or environments will sell them compared to five that aren't so good. Um, and just to really specialize in their portfolio so not have like characters or sketches in a portfolio that's, <clears throat> sorry, uh, for like weapon work. So if they're applying for like a hard surface artist position, you know, art directors don't want to see sketches. They don't want to see character art sculpts because it's not related. So it's really just to, I always say to people, whenever you're applying for jobs, you know, if you have studios that you're passionate about and games that you're passionate about that they work on, hone your portfolio towards those projects and to those mm -hmm. to that art style. You know, if you're specializing in like like World of Warcraft art style with Blizzard, but you're applying to Naughty Dog, you're probably not going to get it. Yeah, that's one of the most common themes for advice that I've heard uh, doing this podcast, uh, especially from AAA level folks like yourself. Um, they they tell me, like, if you're on your way in and you are, you know, new to the industry, be very specific, get very good at a specific thing instead of trying to go like, well, what if I go in and they're also interviewing for something else that maybe I could get instead? Like, that's not the best mindset to be in. And no. it, it makes sense. I understand the, the instinct to think that it makes sense, but I think it's probably one of the most important things that, uh, people can go in and avoid that mistake to go in. Um, I've heard this in audio design, like don't come in for, uh, you know, uh, you know, sound effects, uh, role and tell about the audio, like the music composition that you love doing because, they're actually worried that if they bring you in, you're going to be trying to move right away is one of the big concerns I hear. I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, I suppose in hindsight, when I look back, you know, I think if you're starting as QA, but your ambition is to move to another department, it's probably best to really not kind of have that on the forefront because yeah. departments will see that and they'll be like, okay, this guy is not wanting to climb within QA it's very much like if you go into it you know when you kind of know okay I need to go this direction instead of this direction just keep it kind of to yourself that you want to progress as an artist and just befriend the art team and pick their brains and just you know over lunch or water cooler conversation and you know if you have them on Facebook you know post your art on Facebook put, like definitely make yourself visible you know but it's yeah I think towards hiring managers and stuff it's it's probably best not to be 100% honest <laughs> I mean, I think that it's fair, especially if you go in with the mindset, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having ambitions to, to move once you get in. Um, as long as you're willing to come in and be the best damn whatever they hire you for until, you know, it's, it's time to move over to that point. Cause you don't do anyone any favors if, 
you know, said naughty dog brings you in and has to fire you for being the worst damn QA person they've ever hired and who didn't stop talking about art for one second, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Well, that, that, that's it. You know, it's, I mean, it stands by you because, you know, if once you move into that art role, like that studio that hires you are going to need a reference from like naughty dog, for example. So, if you can keep in good terms, you know, then you get that good reference. And it's just long term, it benefits you because then you have the rapport, you know, and, you know, you don't know, maybe you start as QA as Naughty Dog and then you get to a senior art level at a different studio and you're like, oh, I would love to go back and work at Naughty Dog. Then it just, the doors are still open. You haven't burnt any bridges. I, I feel like everybody has some other ambition, even if it's further up the same path. I mean, uh, a lot of I've heard not a lot of people get hired strictly uh, for design right away. You know, things like that. They tend to come from other areas. And uh, even if you come in as a junior programmer and want to be, you know, managing uh, production in the future, I mean, it's all movement. So if you're willing to come in and work and be career focused, like I feel like I get to speak on that because I've had a long corporate career at this point. Like if you're willing to come in and take the steps and do the work and be a team player, you have to hone those career skills just like you do your technical skills anyway. Like, I think that's fair. If you're coming in to play on the team, that's going to go a long way as well, wouldn't you say? A hundred percent. And I think if you're, if you're, if you have to start as a QA or a tester, you really get to taste all the flavors when it comes to game development because you get, you're exposed to every department, you know, you're dealing yeah. with issues in every department. So it definitely will help you find your niche and what you gravitate towards. And you just get a full picture, broad stroke of just game development. You know, you get to see kind of how everything kind of just comes together. You get to see it being burst and all of the typos and characters, you know, being translated into rigged and animated characters. And just, you get to see all of that happening. So really any exposure to the industry at all is highly valuable experience. You know, there's definitely, it's not definitely not a case of, oh, well, if you're not doing art, it's not valuable. No, it's all of it is extremely valuable. Mm -hmm. Just for fun, what are some of the kind of games that got you into, I mean, really got you inspired to pursue, you know, the game industry? Okay, so that, that, that's an interesting question. So It can I, be broad or specific. You're, it's up to you. <laughs> so uh, I think we'll shoot for specifics. So whenever I was a kid, um, my dad worked at a graphic design place in Belfast, and he used to bring me down um, and we would like get like cookies and orange juice and then go and they would have Macs, Macintosh machines set up. And I remember we like they had like Marathon from Bungie. Um, oh, yeah. That was like the first game I ever played. And I mean, it's a weird situation because I started with Bun Marathon and then we got the first Xbox and then it was Halo and then it was Halo 2. And so honestly, Bungie kind of really put me on that trajectory. And I I remember I got Halo 2 and it came with the making of DVD. And I remember watching that and I think I was like 15. And it was definitely at that point after watching it, I was like, this is what I want to do. Like without a doubt. Um, and I remember I used to just watch it over and over and over and just be completely mesmerized by it and just be like, wow, like this is how it, this is how games are made. Like this is E3. I've never heard of E3 before. So, mm. you know, coming from a small town in Ireland at 15 years of age, been exposed to E3 and all those other things. It was pretty cool. And I think from that point then it was just like, okay, how do I go from that to getting into it? Um, but no, yeah, definitely Bungie and their games are the reason I'm doing what I'm doing today. I hear a lot of Bungie 
I almost never hear Marathon, so that I'm impressed by that. Uh, I didn't even know about Marathon until they did that. If you remember a few years back, they kind of re-released it on, I don't know, Xbox 360 or Xbox, early Xbox One, something like that. That was the first time I had played it. it it's cool. Like, it's a cool game. Yeah, it's like it is weird because I've heard that a lot as well. And I mean, for someone who's thirty, I'm just like, really? Like people don't know about Marathon? That's so like that's that's crazy. But yeah, like it was literally. I think there was only like floppy disks. There was like ten of them, and you just have to install it. And then there was another game from Bullfrog called Syndicate. It was another game that I used to play. And then there was, I think, there was um, Prince of Persia, like the really old school one. But primarily, I remember it just being Marathon. That was like the only game I was glued to. And then, you know, from that then to Halo. And it's funny because I can see a lot of references to Marathon in Halo as well, in some mm-hmm. of the signage and other aspects. Um, you know, and I think like for the longest while, Bungie was definitely a studio I was wanting to join for sure. Um, but I think because I've been so spoiled being able to work in all these AAA projects from basically the countryside in Ireland, I've kind of, it, it's it's kind of instead of, the approach being like, I need to move to another continent or country to join AAA Studio. It's kind of like, okay, I'm going to try and just like utilize this, especially in a post-COVID world. And just, I think like being around family now is definitely much more important. But I feel with COVID, like it's definitely opened those doors where things that were once upon a time, I don't think that's how it's going to be anymore. I don't see talent needing to relocate. And I see a lot more AAA Studios starting to slowly open up to having entirely remote candidates um so who knows maybe in the next five years whatever i might join bungie remotely i don't know (laughs) here's hoping i mean still seems like a fantastic outfit to i mean we know they've gone through many transitions since things kind of really blew up for him but it still seems like a great team uh who's really stayed on their feet uh through the highs and lows and and i'm i'm very impressed by those guys and i i do hope that uh hey I'd love to see it uh, added to a to an upcoming project, but uh, <laughs> I I agree. I've been wanting I've been wanting the industry to shift in this direction for a long time, and there's no reason that everybody can't win if studios are willing to open things up a little bit, you know, bit by bit. It's I know it's hard to go fully remote, have employees who are never, never, never in the office, but. I feel like the pros really outweigh the cons and even Mm. people I'm still interviewing are still kind of divided about this because I talk to a lot of industry folks who it makes them nervous too. Like, you know, Hey, okay, let's say I'm at gearbox and I don't, I don't understand how it would work if I had a bunch of teammates who were never here. It's not that they don't want people to be added, but it's, it, it is a big transition, but you know, how, how is it not better for a studio to be able to go, we can work with all the best people in the entire world instead of all the best people in the greater Austin, Texas area. You know, I mean, like, when is that not going to be more of a benefit, right? And that's it. I mean, you know, I, as I always say to people like, uh, you know, with immigration visas, all that, you know, I think honestly, in a post-COVID world, I don't see families, especially, and people who really have kind of put their feet in the ground and put roots down wanting to remove all of that and relocate for the sake of an opportunity because really that kind of outweighs the opportunity. And I mean, that's kind of my personal view on it now, you know? And I think really like for me, I think if studios open their doors to remote talent, no matter where they are in the world, it allows them to obtain that talent without having the overheads of having to relocate and ship their whole entire life to a new country. 
and it allows that talent the opportunity without having to worry about the logistics of that as well. I mean, everyone wins at the end of the day. If it doesn't work, neither party has lost because mm-hmm. the person is relocated their entire life doesn't have to think, uh-oh, I have to now transition back, you know. Um, and I think one of the studios that stand out that really adapted to this was Ghost Story and Irrational in Boston. I mean, when I worked with them, they basically shipped me out a machine and I worked directly through their machine and VPN. And it was like, it was almost like I was just at the studio working their time hours, just everything. Um, and it is possible, like if you're really passionate about the studio and you want to join them, you won't mind adapting your hours to fit their nine to five. Um, I mean, that's essentially what I did with Ghost Story. I mean, like they're five hours behind. So I would work from 2 p.m. to like 10 p.m., I believe, um, mm-hmm. in Ireland. Um, and it works, you know. And I think if you're comfortable with remote and you've familiarized yourself with remote working, it becomes a lot easier because, I mean, I remember going from a studio gig to go and freelance and I'd say for the first six months it doesn't feel real you have those moments of like you don't feel like there's enough security yet you feel like you can still very lose lose grasp of it but mm-hmm. I think the longer you do it then you start to realize like no this is like it's solidified this can be such a long-term thing so I think with that I'd say in the next 12 to 24 months I think we'll really have adapted to studios really opening the doors much more because I know for Example, Ubisoft or Studio and I want uh, adapting to remote work. And then I've, I know Respawn Entertainment have hired a few friends in the UK who aren't planning to move to the States. So it makes me very excited for the future of the industry. And I feel like it's just a lot more people are going to win and there's going to be a lot more opportunity. Um, I mean, I recently worked with Artbully and Rally remotely as an art lead for their Rally team. You know, mm-hmm. which is insane. Me being in Ireland looking after an art team in Raleigh, I mean, it can be done, you know. And I worked on Real Company and Smite with them. And then I was working with Techland as a freelance artist and Diamond 2, you know, another AAA project. And then now I've joined Antimatter as a senior environment artist. So I'm basically overseeing junior artists in a studio in England from my home in Ireland. I mean, it, it, it definitely can be done, you know, if you really take the right mindset to it. And just learn to communicate in an efficient manner online. It, there's no, like, it, you might as well be in the studio because you can hit that almost that level of interaction. I'm super encouraged by it. And, uh, you know, I, ho- I hope at some point I get to contribute to some cool stuff too. I mean, just when I went indie, I thought like, you know, this is, this just isn't how the industry works. So, I mean, I would just have to do it myself. And the, the idea that more people will get to contribute to more things players win studios win workers win like it's very exciting to me and i i hope we do catch up because i mean my wife works at a hospital she's already doing this just like you described they shipped her a machine it came pre-configured it was pretty much plug and play i was able to hop on the phone with somebody on her team and fix the the last couple of things to get things really smooth it's and it's it's great she covers a night shift from home and so i mean we don't even feel that like it's, it feels like we're just all home together. Uh, work life balance is better than it's ever been. And yeah. you know, it's, it's not going to be perfect, but I mean, I think we gain so much from figuring that out. So again, yeah. I, I hope we continue to move that direction. And I mean, you know, looking further down the road, I mean, globally, we're, we're really moving toward much more of a, 
I guess you'd call it like a global community in the first place. I mean, we're so far behind on things like, you know, without getting too political, but like immigration visas and programs to, you know, relocate or, or work with uh, different people. Like, I think I think we're kind of starting to look beyond all that. I hope I hope we I hope we can sort through a lot of those issues and make things easier for so many people, because, I mean, there's so much to gain, you know. Definitely. And I think, you know, at the same time, honestly, being remote, I mean, for example, you're in the US, I'm in Ireland, but it makes you realize how small the world is. Like, it, honestly, I think when you interact online, it doesn't matter how far you are physically, it, it really just makes everything come together. Um, and I think exactly if we can really kind of just absorb that and avail of it, I mean, we're very blessed to have the technology to do it. So it, it just it offers so much opportunity. And as you said, you know, working from home, yes, you can still have like the, the, the stress of your workload and such, but it's mm-hmm. not near the same level as if you're in a studio or an office, you know. Um, you have your own comfort, you get to just relax more. And, and, you know, even if it's literally going to the kitchen to get a glass of water, you still get to interact with your family before yeah. returning to your workplace. So it's just healthy. Like it does so much more for your mental well-being and physical well-being for sure. And somehow you and I have a better connection on this call than when I talk to my friend who lives 45 minutes away. So uh, <laughs> what a time to be alive, right? <laughs> this is really <Wow>. cool. <laughs> so uh, as we sort of wind things down, I want to make sure you get a chance to relax before it gets too late. Uh, let people know where they can find you online, uh, what you're up to next, that kind of thing. Yeah, so um, you can get me on LinkedIn, just James Brady. I think at the end of it, it's just Brady Art XYZ. And then my website's BradyArt.xyz. Um, Brady Art 3D, I think. Um, I'll send you a link, so I'll have to double check that because I haven't yeah. been on my website for a while. Um, and yeah, over email as well, if they have any questions, it's just BradyArt3D at gmail.com. Um, yeah, and I mean, at the moment, I'm just a senior environment artist at Antimatter, working on 83 and IGI Origins and just freelancing with Liquid on some AAA work and I believe um, another AAA studio in the next two weeks. I'm just kind of waiting for a green light on that. But yeah, and I'm actively on Discord as well on the Rookies channel. If they, if they ever want to pop on, you know, they can always reach out and ask, ask, me, ask me any questions they may have. And yeah. For sure. Very cool. I will uh, assemble that all in the show notes and uh, yeah, follow James, get to absorb his knowledge. I mean, it's rare to get to talk to somebody who's accomplished this much in really such a short time. When you look at the list of things you've done, it's been, you've been busy and I like it. So uh, very cool. Thanks a ton for this. This was a lot of fun and uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing what's next from you. Awesome. Yeah. And thanks so much for the opportunity as well.